Let's take our Bibles, let's stand together, if you don't mind, and let's turn to Matthew chapter 25. And while you're turning, I'm very glad to be here. want to say thank you for inviting me to come. Pray for Brother Tom Farrell, who was supposed to be here. And uh, as was mentioned, I mentioned Sunday school. He's a giant in the faith, great preacher. We call him Double Barrel Farrell. And uh, Brother Farrell's very sick now with a brain tumor. If you've never met Brother Farrell, look him up on the internet. Listen to him preach. He is a, uh, he's one of my heroes. My wife said uh, that I talk about him probably more than anybody. So he's just a great blessing to me. But i um, very glad to be here. I met uh, Brother Hoover's father, who is the founder here, I believe, when I was in Montana preaching about, oh, a month ago, and uh, he got that honorary doctorate over there. I don't know if you know about that, but I was there when he got that degree. And uh, we struck up conversation, and then he told me about his son he's so proud of, who's pastor in the church, and, you know, he says doing a better job than he did. But, uh, you know, he's lying because he's got to be better because us dads are always better than our kids, you know. But uh, anyway, just a real good honor to be here. And didn't these, uh, these students from the college bless you today? Great songs, great job. I really enjoyed it. Really good voices. Um, I, I'm sorry, I hope this doesn't sound too carnal of me. It made me think of El Devo. You don't know what that is, do you? These guys are carnal enough they know, okay, so... I enjoyed it, and uh, sure enjoyed it, and uh, enjoyed that special. Did you write that arrangement for uh, the offertory? I guess that. I guess that, because it poured right out of your soul, and it was a blessing. It's a blessing. Well, thank you so much. Let's take our Bibles now, and let's go ahead and look at Matthew chapter 25, and we'll read verse 46 as our text. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Again, these shall go away, shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Let's pray. Our Father, we do ask for your blessing today, and we do ask you, Lord, to use the word to get us on track. Lord, if there are any that need salvation, we pray, Lord, that you'd use it to that end. If all of us are already born again, that you'd use it to the end of others being saved, to our hope, to our future. And Lord, just use it in each of our lives. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, and you can be seated. When you hear the words forever, everlasting, eternal, words like this, do you really think about what they mean? Now, some things seem like they last forever. For instance, um, waiting in a dentist chair, having a dentist drilling on your teeth, it seems like it lasts forever, but it doesn't. Waiting to grow out a mohawk, that may seem like it lasts forever, but it doesn't. It goes away. It gets better. Being grounded for a week when you're a teenager seems like it lasts forever. Maybe waiting in the car for someone in your family to get in the car. Usually it's men waiting on their wives. In my family, it's the wife waiting on her husband. But some things seem like they last forever, but they don't. But we use the word forever so flippantly 
that we kind of lose the meaning and the weight of the words. People use the word forever very flippantly. The carpet salesman will say this carpet will last you forever, and then you read the fine print, not guaranteed if you use it. Kids must be potty trained. Pets must be housebroken. There was somebody who brought an article to my wife that advertised nylons, and the article said these nylons will never run. Wouldn't that be great, ladies, if your nylons would never run? I don't think anybody wears those anymore, but when they do, I hate it when my nylons run. Now, my wife did not buy a pair, but a friend of hers did, and just like the article promised, they never did run. Instead, they disintegrated. Now, when people use the word forever, you cannot be sure that they mean it, and when we use it, sometimes we lose the weight of it. Abusers of the word forever... We use it all the time. People say to a girl, I will love you forever. But the next week, Hank the Hunk meets Kate the Chunk and Stephanie Scarecrow's history and he's on to another person. And he says to her, I love you till the moon stops to shine, till the sea runs dry, till time stands still. And then he throws it out again. I will love you forever. But when man uses forever, they do not really mean it or understand the weight of it. Even when we use it, we don't understand the weight of it. But when God used it, he knew what he said, and he knew the weight of it. These shall go to everlasting punishment, but the righteous to life eternal. These shall. I remember going to the hospital when my children were born, And everybody's looking at the babies, and everybody's looking at them, saying, there's a cute one, there's an ugly one, ooh, look at that cone head. And of course, they were all saying that my babies were the cutest. But as I was there, and I was looking at the babies, the thought crossed my mind that each of these babies, and of course, as a preacher, I'm going to think this way, but I was thinking each of these babies is the beginning of an eternity. And I looked at them, and I thought, They're so beautiful, but for some of them, it had been better that they never even been born. Now, not because they're not going to bring joy to the world or bring joy and happiness into their family, or maybe they won't contribute good in the world and in the community, but some of them, all they're going to do is grow up, go through life, never hear about Jesus or reject Jesus and die and spend an eternity in hell. Now, if they die and spend an eternity in hell, wouldn't it have been better that they never been born? Now, as we look at people around us, we need to remember, these shall, not might, go away to everlasting punishment, but the righteous to life eternal. It's going to happen. And every one of us in this room, we are eternities. And we represent an eternity in heaven. Some of us may represent an eternity in hell. What do you represent right now? And every person that we know is an eternity. And I'm going to preach on this serious subject today. And we're going to look at various places in the Word of God. Now first, look at the details about eternity. Now, these shall go away. In other words, at the end of life, you go somewhere. These shall go away. At the end of life, we go somewhere. At the end of life, everyone we know goes somewhere. 
So we've got to understand the weight and the seriousness of what we're talking about and what the mission is of the church to try to win souls to Christ. These shall go away. Now, the Bible says many different things related to this. Number one, you have a soul. Genesis 2-7, the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground, breathed in his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now watch me up here for just a moment. Science says as I brush up against the pulpit, I'm brushing thousands of cells off my hand. I used to think if that's true, why doesn't my hand disappear? But science also says that as I brush thousands of cells off my hand, my body replaces them so that my hand does not disappear. The book that I read said every day that we live, thousands of our brain cells die. Some of you say that's why my friend's so stupid, his brain's been dying for years. Now, the book not only said that our brain cells die, but there's a part of the brain that is the part of the memory that, according to the book I read, reproduces itself so that every seven years you have a completely new mass of brain matter. Now, here's the question. Grandpa in this room is 70 years old. Why can Grandpa remember what happened to him when he was only 7 years old? That was 10 brains ago. It's because we make the mistake of saying that the brain remembers. The brain does not remember anything. It's the soul that you are that remembers through the tool of the brain. We say that eyes see. Eyes in a dead body don't see anything. They could be perfectly good in a perfectly good set of eyeballs, but as soon as the person is dead, those eyes do not see. It's the soul that sees through the eyeballs. Now, we say that ears hear. Ears in a dead body aren't hearing anything. It's the soul that hears through the ears, the eyes that sees through the brain. It's the soul, the soul that sees through the eyes and it's the soul that thinks through the brain. And what I'm simply reminding us of is, this is not a made-up doctrine. Every person does have a soul. Now, number two, our souls, their souls, everyone's souls can never die. The Bible says, fear not them which are able to kill the body, but not able to kill the soul." Somebody says, I'm going to kill myself. I don't like my life. I'm sorry, you cannot do that. If you die, you still live. So you have a soul. Your soul can never die. When you die physically, your body leaves the soul and the body and the soul separate and the body goes to grave, but the soul goes back to God for judgment. You say, I know that. I'm reminding you of the, the weight and the gravity and the seriousness of the fact. Ecclesiastes 12 says, And then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Hebrews 9, 27, It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, after death, the judgment, every person is a soul. That soul, their soul, our soul, cannot die. Every soul in Milwaukee, every soul in the community, every soul that's the Harvard Baptist Church comes in contact with real souls that cannot die. When they die, we die, they die, 
Others die. The body goes to the grave. The soul does return to God for judgment. Number four, then it is immediately clothed in a new body. Now, have you ever wondered if when you die, you float along like a ghost? You don't. The Bible says the earthly house of this tabernacle be dissolved. That's our physical body. We have a building of God and house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. 2 Corinthians 5.1. So when you die, you get a body. Everybody gets a body. They get a body. The people you don't like get a body. The people you love get a body. And that body is going to affect their eternity. Now, what is the body that their soul will be encapsulated in and that our soul will be encapsulated in like? Now, the Bible doesn't say a lot about it. We have Jesus resurrected from the dead, and it says he was able to walk, after, uh, to walk through walls. That'd be kind of neat. He was able to eat food. I'm glad God included that. And in the body after death, we will eat. There will be the marriage supper of the Lamb. So there will be eating. But we know that, that Jesus' body was resurrected. It was the body that he died in. So the only body that we know about life after death is a man who went to hell and what his body was like. And that's found in Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen, fared sumptuously every day. You know the passage. A certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom or heaven. The rich man also died and was buried. You know the passage. In hell, he lifted his eyes, being in torment. Seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to me, dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in the flame. Now that passage tells us what the body is like after death for those in hell. In the body after death... The soul and the body separated. Body goes through grave, just like we've been preaching all these years. Soul does return to God. You go somewhere when you die. They don't float around like a ghost. They will immediately be clothed with a body and then go to heaven or hell. And what will that body be like? In the body after death, the person will be able to see. I remind you, lift up his eyes, being in torment, and see it. Now, no one likes to see terrible things. You could tell stories, I could tell stories, but it's good to hear them. I remember when I was with a friend of mine, he brought me a newspaper article about a woman who saw her husband commit suicide. He was on a motorcycle, took his helmet off, laid it on the ground, and said, honey, watch this. She didn't know what he was going to do, but she soon found out. He revved up his motorcycle, kicked it in gear, and began to drive straight toward a brick hospital wall. Not knowing what he was going to do, he picked up speed, and she soon realized he is going to kill himself, and he did. He hit his body into the brick wall, and he fell backwards with a broken body and dead. Now, the woman who saw her husband commit suicide, her mind snapped, and she was instantly put in a mental institution. Why? Because nobody likes to see terrible things. Now, honestly, do we believe our Bibles? And if we do, the Bible says people go to hell. And the Bible says they will see. Now, nobody likes to see terrible things, but what will it be like to see a demon? Honestly, think of that. 
what will it be like to see a demon, not in some already movie, not in the imagination of a man, but what do those things look like? In the body after death, a person will see the place called hell and all of the horrible um, fiends that are there. Now, in the body after death, that adds to their torment in hell. In the body after death, a person will be able to hear. There was conversation between the man in hell and Abraham. Now, nobody likes to hear terrible things. I took emergency medical training. I was trained to work in the back of an ambulance. Part of my training, they brought me to the Greenville Memorial Emergency Room where they brought in a man who had been in a knife fight. He was stabbed in his back. He could put two fingers in a hole in his back and you go right into his lung. We had to cut the side of his chest open, put a four-inch tube in to drain the chest cavity to keep him alive. It was a tough, tough thing. And the man was dying. So anyway, everybody who's working on this man who's dying, we're all trying to see what we can do to save this life. And I'm just there kind of observing because I'm learning. And then I hear the sirens. Another ambulance pulled in. And I wonder, well, what's happening now? So then they pull another woman out, and this woman on a stretcher had a broken hip, they said. Now, she was in a lot of pain, but she had a broken hip, and you're constantly evaluating in a situation who needs my attention most and who can take it later. So they pulled her aside because she's got a broken hip. She's not going to die, but she's just in a lot of pain. She needs my attention, the doctors were thinking, but this man is about to die. He definitely needs it first. So they pull her in, broken hip, put a curtain between us and her, and she's in so much pain. She's going, doctor, doctor, I'm in pain. Doctor, give me something. Doctor, give me some relief from the pain. Doctor. And we could not help her because this guy's life was in danger. She was just in a lot of pain. Now, I can handle all the cutting, and I can handle all the bleeding, and I can handle all that stuff, but what got to me was the woman five feet away on the other side of that curtain. Her screams made me nauseated. Her screams put chills up and down my spine as I thought about and felt what she was probably feeling. And to think about her screaming and it making me nauseated, I know that as preachers we try to get the feeling and the the whole feeling of the flames and the torture of hell to try to stir the body to serve the Lord. But the fact is, God gave us a mind, God gave us emotions too. And we've got to feel this sometimes before we get at it. Imagine what it would be like to hear the sounds of people burning in hell. And do not let that just think in your mind to be a trick of an evangelist. How many do believe that if somebody is burning and on fire, they're probably screaming? And how many would agree that if there are millions of people that are on fire and millions of people burning and millions of people without any relief for decades and centuries and centuries that the screaming in hell would be intense and extremely loud and nauseating? We cannot exaggerate the seriousness of the condition of the dead. In the body after death, a person can hear it, and body after death, a person can see, and the body after death, a person is able to feel. He said, I am tormented in the flame. And we all know the worst way to die would be to die by flames. And I could tell you stories, and you could tell me stories, but enough said. 
in the body after death, the person can see, he can hear, he can feel what makes you think he can't taste and smell. I will not go into it, but my emergency instructor said the worst scene he ever arrived on was a man burnt in an automobile wreck. He said you could taste and you could smell charred bodies in the air a block away. Imagine tasting and smelling charred bodies burning in hell. Now, why did God create a body for us after we die? Is he a sick God who's so mad at us that he wants us to suffer for everything we've done? No, God is not willing any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. that's still true. Would you say you agree with that? So God's not wanting that. Why did God then create the body for people after they die and preachers raise us up to preach about it and lay people to get out in the community and talk about it? Because the body was for us to be able to enjoy the pleasure of heaven. See the pearly gates. Taste the fruits of heaven. Smell the fresh heavenly air. But the body that God created for us to enjoy heaven is going to be used to give torment because of sin coming into the world. And so we have an understanding that when people die, they still live. And this is an important thing to remind ourselves of and keep in front of us all the time. Even though we know it, We need to rehearse it. There is a place where people go when they die. Now, you are here today. If you know you're going to heaven, great. But there is a place where people go out there when they die. If you're here and you do not know that you're going to heaven, you're in a great danger, and there's a place where you will go when you die. And God wants that to be heaven, and we want that to be heaven for you as well. All right, now the first thing that we looked at this morning is the details about eternity. You have a soul, your soul can never die. When you die physically, your body goes to the grave, our soul goes to God for judgment, and then you're immediately clothed with another body. So you will see, hear, feel, taste, smell, and it will be used to give you pleasure in heaven or used to give torment in hell, depending on what you do with Jesus. Now, the second thing I want to look at as we look at the details about eternity, number two, the destinations for eternity. Now, our doctrine is right, but is it deep in our soul? Is it something that's on our forefront of our minds? Is it still the pursuit? Have there become things that have become more important than this? I know that things have been important, and I know that issues are important, finances are important. COVID was important, and I know that there are important issues where we've got to do this and that and that, but can you think of anything more important than eternity? What has happened in 2020, what is happening in 2021 will not change what will happen for eternity, and so eternal things cannot wait. Now, as we look at this, the destinations, these shall go to everlasting punishment, that's hell, but the righteous to life eternal. Now, first, let's look at heaven. Now, I want to go to heaven when I die, but I'm not in a hurry to get there. That's the way most of us think. When I was younger, I thought, I want to go to heaven when I die, but I want to get my driver's license first. Anybody feel that way? I want to go to heaven when I die, but these four guys would say this, I want to get married first. 
And I remember I was engaged, I was going to get married, and I began to think, I know what's going to happen. What's going to happen is the rapture is going to come the day before my marriage, and I'm going to be all upset. But I ended up getting married, so God likes me more than you. But I'm saying this, even if we were to die, we're not going to miss, miss anything on earth because the best things on earth cannot compare to the least of things in heaven. Now, um, what does the Bible say about heaven as a reminder to us? Heaven is a place. John 14, behold, I go to prepare a place for you. Had a lady come to me and she said, brother, you don't really believe in heaven, do you? She's an unsaved lady. I said, well, yes, I believe in heaven. She says, well, have you ever been to heaven? I said, no. She said, well, if you've never been there, how do you know it's a real place? So I said, Melody, have you ever been in my travel trailer in Shelby, North Carolina? She said, no. I said, just because you haven't been in my trailer doesn't mean that it does not exist. Now, Jesus said that there is a place called heaven, and for us to doubt that would be for us to call Jesus a liar, and I'm not going to do that. Now, what is heaven like? It's described for us in Revelation 21, turn there, please. In Revelation 21, it talks about a part of heaven, sort of like Milwaukee is only a part of Wisconsin. It's the best state in Wisconsin, I know, but it's only a part of Wisconsin. Now, Revelation 21 is talking about a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, and it only tells us a little bit about the place called heaven, but here's what it says. It says, first of all, in verse 11, that everywhere you look, there are these beautiful, glistening diamonds, having the glory of God, and her light was like a precious stone, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Now, I am told that jasper here is referring to more like a diamond, whether it would be like the green jasper that we know, or whether it be like the diamond, it will be beautiful. But everywhere you look, there'll be beautiful, glistening diamonds. Now, verse 16 It tells you how big it is. It is 12,000 furlongs high, 12,000 furlongs wide, and 12,000 furlongs tall. That is approximately 1,500 miles high, wide, and long. Now, somebody says, is heaven going to get crowded? I don't know how the preacher calculated this, but calculated that if everybody who'd ever lived since Adam and Eve were to die and go to heaven, and they won't, everybody would have 72 miles for their own property. Now, does that sound like heaven is going to get crowded? Now then, look at verse 18. It says, The building of the wall was of jasper, if that's diamond, they're diamond walls. The city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. And this is diamond walls. Verse 19, The foundations of the walls are 12 different kinds of jewels. Here are a few. It says that there is the ruby, that's beryl, It says there's a chrysolite, there's the topaz, and there are many that are mentioned, the amethyst, and they're absolutely beautiful. Now, some of you ladies enjoy jewelry. There'll be places where you can look and see 12 different kinds of jewels all next to each other, and a bright light shining through it. It's going to be beautiful. Now, some of you have wondered if there's going to be fishing in heaven. All right, take your Bibles and look at Revelation 22. And I want you to notice verse 1. 
And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. So somebody says, is there going to be fishing in heaven? Well, there's going to be a river. And if there's going to be a river, there'll probably be some fish in that river. Besides, we know that some men could never be happy if there was not fishing in heaven. Now, in the Bible, it also says that on both sides of the river is the tree of life. Revelation 22 and verse 12, in the midst of the street of it on either side of the river was the tree of life. Garden of Eden had one. In heaven, there'll be at least one. Ezekiel seems to indicate it may be thousands of them. The tree of life, just like the Garden of Eden. But what is on those trees is exciting. Verse 2, which bear twelve manner of fruit, yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, how many of you, your favorite fruit would be apples? How about oranges? How about cherries? How about maraschino cherries? Those don't grow on trees like that, okay? But whatever your favorite fruit is, you'll be able to go up to a tree of life, pick an apple. This is heaven. Take a bite out of it. If you don't like it, throw it in the river. You're right next to the river. Reach up on the same tree without even taking a step and pick an orange. Then reach on the same tree and get you some cherries. Now somebody says, there's no such thing as a tree. Now think with me. That has 12 different kinds of fruit. That's impossible. Well, think with me. How does a hunk of wood on this planet produce a fruit? That's a miracle. And if God can make a tree produce an orange, then why can't God who makes an apple tree produce an apple, produce one tree very easily with his capabilities and has 12 kinds of fruit on one tree? And they bear this fruit every month. Now, some people are afraid about dying. And I want to tell you that if you and I have Jesus, we don't have anything to be afraid about dying. Here's how God describes the death of a Christian. And if you're here today and you don't know you're going to heaven, you need to settle this. Because God says death for a Christian is called many different precious things. All right, John 11, 11, our friend Lazarus sleepeth. Psalm 116, 15, and I quote, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Precious. Psalms 37, 37. Mark the perfect man, behold the upright. The end of that man is peace. Isaiah 57, 2. He, the saved man, shall enter into peace. They shall rest in their beds. Ecclesiastes 7, 1. A good name is better than precious ointment in the day of death, better than the day of one's birth. It gets better. You think this is good? It gets better when we go to heaven. And then he says, Proverbs 14, 32, The wicked is driven away in his wickedness. The righteous hath hope in his death. Philippians 1, 21, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. To die is what? Gain. Philippians 1, 21, I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Somebody is sick, and we say, oh, Lord, help them to get better. And we say we believe in heaven, and then somebody that we love who is a great believer dies and go to heaven, and we say, oh, that's poor man. Why is it so poor when he finally got to go to heaven? 
it's far better. Not just better, it is far better. And then Psalm 116, 15, Thou wilt show me the path of life, and thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. So death for Christian, I remind you, brethren, sisters in Christ, sleep, precious, peace, rest, better than birth, time of hope, time of gain, far better, fullness of pleasure, fullness of joy. And if you don't know you're going to heaven, you're going to miss the greatest thing you could ever have. Now, hold on. What about people that die without Jesus? Do they have anything to be afraid about? Instead of it being far better, it's far worse. Now, one man said, few people believe in the fires of hell. That old doctrine is dying. It's something that came out of medieval times. Whether they say that we're educated or not, the Bible says that there is such a place called hell. One man said, I doubt that hell fire is real fire. It's just a man being separated from God. But Jesus himself, I remind us, said, these shall go away to everlasting punishment. He's the one who said, if your right eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that the whole body shall be cast into hell. And he's the one who went on and said, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Now, what does the Bible say about this place? Are we right with our thinking about what the Bible says? It says, hell is a place. Luke 16, 23, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, it has fire. Luke 16, 24, I am tormented in this flame. It has brimstone. Revelation 19, 20, these were cast into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. Now, what is brimstone? I don't know. Neither do you. But we have our ideas. If you look inside of a volcano, you'll see lava, and people say that is lava fire. But they'll say it's a lava lake. They'll say it's lava stone. And it's true, all of that. So lava coming from the center of the earth, hell, center of the earth, I contend to us that brimstone may very well be hot-seating lava. And can you imagine swimming around in a lake of lava? It is a place, it is fire, it is brimstone, and it is everlasting. These shall go to everlasting. I wish that we could preach like some of our quote-unquote Christian friends preach, which whether they are or not, I do not know. But they teach this. Annihilation. What happens is the body is cast and the soul into hell, and then they get burnt up, and it's all done. Horrible. But at least they don't suffer forever. But when you and I look in our Bibles in the book of Revelation, it says, the smoke of the damned ascendeth forever and ever. Get it? No pleasure in this. No joy in this. It says the smoke of the damned ascendeth forever and ever, and they, the damned, have no rest, day nor night. In other words, it's true. We didn't get it wrong. We're not just mean. When people die, they go to hell and they burn, and they burn, and they burn, and they never die. That's truth. That's not old, fuddy-duddy, fundamental Baptist doctrine. It was Bible doctrine the moment that it was voiced. It will always be Bible truth. 
Now, imagine one day you're at work, the second later you die. It's going to happen someday. Immediately you're taken by beautiful angels and you see these beautiful pearly gates. Have you ever heard somebody say, I thought I'd died and gone to heaven? I usually say that after Oreo double stuffed cookies. But I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. Well, we use that expression when we get a good meal or we get a great dessert or we have some great thing that we get to enjoy. But the reality is, when we say that, it's nothing like it's going to be. So immediately you're taken by beautiful angels and you see these beautiful pearly gates and you thought you'd died and gone to heaven. Well, when you see those pearly gates, you're going to know it could be nothing but heaven. You're surrounded by beauty. Everything is bright. First time in your life, you're breathing fresh heavenly air. No pollution. Immediately, you realize you're in a body that's incapable of feeling any pain. You realize that when you're in heaven, you'll be able to take your thumb, stick it out, and hit it with a hammer, and you wouldn't even feel it. Be kind of fun, wouldn't it? And immediately, you're surrounded by old friends. They say, welcome home. You ought to see the place Jesus made for you. It's beautiful. Right down this gold street. There, by the river and the diamond wall, they take you down a gold street. You're trying to take it in. You see the tree of life, 12 kinds of fruit. You're taking it in, and you see the fish jumping in the river, and then you see a mansion. You say, beautiful, beautiful. Is that for me? Yes, Jesus made it for you. Yes, Jesus. Where's Jesus? Take me to Jesus. And they take you down another gold street, down another corner, and you walk into the most beautiful place in all of heaven, And you stand before Jesus. I don't know if it'll be immediately. It probably will be. It won't play out like this. But just imagine the moment you get in the eyes of Jesus. Do you realize, folks, that we are going to see Jesus? That's a reality. We don't see him now. We are going to see him. And so here you are in the presence of Jesus, done with sin, no wicked people to hurt you, no wicked people to push you and pressure you to sin, to be cool, to have all that junk on you every day of your life and all that criticism, no wicked people so no one's going to do that anymore. Done with pain, done with temptation. How many of you wish you never tempted another day in your life? One day we won't be. And in the presence of Jesus and all those who we know who are born again, I'm sorry, the joy is indescribable. Now stop and preach yourself a sermon if you were to die and go to hell. One minute you're laughing. If you already know you're going to heaven, that's fine. Preach yourself a different sermon. Preach yourself a sermon of your friend if they were to die and go to hell and what they would be experiencing if they go to hell. Think about this. What are they going to think about you and your efforts to try to win them to Christ? I remember thinking about my unsaved cousin, Doug, and I thought about Doug going to hell. And I thought, if Doug goes to hell, what's he going to be experiencing? So I started to think through this, and in about 30 seconds, I had tears in my eyes. And praise God, eventually I got to win Doug to Christ. But it starts by getting that burden for Doug and for the Dugs in your life. I remember thinking 
what it would be like if Doug were to die and go to hell. Now, if you don't know you're going to heaven, put yourself in this picture. One minute you're laughing, next second you die, it's going to happen sometime. But immediately this time you're shot through with piercing pain. Burning is the worst pain known to man. You wait for the pain to stop, but it doesn't stop. You just keep burning. You wait to die, but you don't die. Think of your friend. He just keeps burning. He waits to die, but he does not die. So go back to you. Here you are, you're waiting to die, but you don't die. And you think, I've got to die. When is this going to stop? When am I going to stop suffering? I know I've got to die, and this will stop. But it doesn't, and then you realize, I'm in hell. There is no end to what I'm experiencing. So then you scream, someone help me, someone help me. Nobody hears you, no matter how loud you scream, no matter how long you scream, nobody hears you, you're in hell. You just burn and burn and burn and never die. Then at one juncture you're given a little hope. An angel reaches down and he picks you up out of that terrible place and he brings you a beautiful place you've never been. It's called the Great White Throne Judgment and you see the brightness of God on the throne. And you think, maybe I've suffered enough. Maybe now I give forgiveness for my sins. But God says, pull out a record of his sins. And they begin to read every sin that you've ever done. Did you know that God has a record of every time we lie, every time we lust, every time we're a little too far with our boyfriend or too far with our girlfriend? He writes it down every time we cuss. So he's got a book and all the sins and the books are open and the dead were judged every man according to his works. Now, what is it going to be about? Getting into heaven? No. Everybody is already going to hell who's at the great white throne judgment. The purpose is to determine the degree of punishment you face in the final hell, the lake of fire. And then when it's all done, he says, depart from me, cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And a strong angel picks you up by the neck and he takes you to the final hell. You think it can't be worse than the first hell, but your first glance says it is. Picture your friend if you want. You fight. He fights. You fight to get away. He fights to get away. But the strong angel is too powerful and with a mighty arm, he lifts you up and he casts you into the pit. Immediately you're shot through with the same piercing pain. But this time, you're falling. There's no light in the pit. This time, you're burning and falling and burning and falling. And for the rest of eternity, you just burn and fall and burn and fall and literally experience a devil's hell. Now, do you know what a lost person discovers about 60 seconds after he dies? Death does not end at all. You go somewhere when you die. God has a record of every sin you've ever done. And that there's no hope. Now there is hope today. And what is that hope? That hope today is Jesus Christ. So two eternities determined. How is it all going to be determined these shall go to everlasting punishment, but the righteous to life eternal in the way that is all determined. Simple and clear. John 3, 16, 
God so loved the world, not so hated the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And the whole thing is determined by Jesus Christ. This is not something that independent fundamental Baptists have made up. This is not a grandmother's religion. This is something that was penned in Scripture, and it's not changed. If people call it fuddy-dud, if people call it foolish, if people say it's not science, it doesn't change. This book is proven, so its message is proven, that the only hope people ever had was Jesus. The only people ever have now is Jesus. And the only hope any of our friends will ever have is Jesus. So we're not dumb, we're not stupid, we're not weird, we're not strange, we're not in a cult. It's Jesus, whether they call us a cult or not. And if you and I believe that, we do, you have got and I have got to get over our timidness about the only hope for the salvation of the world. I close with this. Years ago, there was a sailor that was working on a ship. They say it's a true story, so it has to be true. But there was a sailor, true or not, it's a good application. He was working on a sail, and there was a tear, and he climbed up high and was trying to fix it when there was a huge wave that hit the side of the boat, of the boat, and it rocked the boat, and it catapulted him from the high sail off and into the water. Someone else saw it and hollered, man overboard, man overboard, and somebody saw it and threw him a lifeline. He grabbed it, and they pulled him into safety. And as he was safe now, he still was laying on his back, still in a state of shock. He was holding that rope, and he did not let go. So they said to him, sailor, you're safe now. Let go of the rope. And he wanted them to let go so they could get on with the business, but he just held it, and he would not let go. So in time, the captain, hearing all the commotion, goes up to see what's going on, and he sees this sailor laying on the deck, and he says, he fell over, sir. And they said, he won't let go. So the captain went down, what do you mean he won't let go? And he sees this sailor holding the rope. They say, let go of the rope. And he's just staring into space, holding it tightly, not saying a word, in a state of shock. So the captain said, step aside. So he stepped up and he said, sailor, this is your captain speaking. Let go of the rope. Not a word. Not a motion. So he got down on a knee and he cupped his hand over his mouth and he says, sailor, this is your captain speaking. And you don't disobey a captain's order. So he says, this is your captain speaking. Sailor, I order you, let go of the rope. That shocked him out of his state of shock. And so with that, he turned his head and he said his first words. Still holding onto the rope, though, he looks at him and he says, Sir, I can't let go. He said, Sailor, let go. He said, Sir, I can't let go. He said, I order you, let go of the rope. He said, Sir, I cannot let go. I grabbed it with my life. And I can't let go. Now, how many of you have ever had a cramp in one of your legs or arms or hands? And you get a cramp in your hand and you just can't straighten it out. 
You get a cramp in your leg and you can't straighten it out. You get a cramp in your arm and you're not going to straighten out your arm no matter how much you want. And he was simply saying this. He could not let go. He had cramps in his hands and he could not let go. Here's what had happened. The man was about to die. The sailor threw out the lifeline. He grabbed it, and as he's pulling in, the water's trying to pull him off with the weight of his clothing. The waves are trying to pull him off. As he's out of the water, the gravity's trying to pull him off, and he's holding on for his life, knowing if he let go, he would drown. So he muscles cramped, and he could not let go. Now, you may think we're playing games here, but I'm throwing you a lifeline. The lifeline is Jesus, and regardless of how many years you rejected it, you better grab him. You better grab him. And you don't have to be me. You don't have to be like me. But you better grab him. Because if you do not take Jesus, it means to go down into hell, and that's what it is. And also, what I'm saying is if what I've said is true, and how many do you believe there is a heaven? Would you say an amen? amen? And if there is a hell, though we don't like it, would you say, I agree? If there is a heaven and there is a hell, and there is, then the only thing, the major important thing for us is that we keep throwing out the lifeline even in desperate times. The souls of men are not going to wait until there's not a chance for you to get COVID-19. So we've got to keep throwing out the lifeline and live up to the church name. Souls Harbor. Amen. Let's bow our heads and we'll have a time of consideration of these things. Now, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, thank you for listening so much to the word today. Now, with this, though, I would like to ask you, how many of you take this as seriously as you've taken any invitation? Please, don't just flippantly respond, for your soul is at stake. So, how many of you can say, Brother Mike, I do know I'm going to go to heaven when I leave this. I'm going to there, there to heaven. When you die, you go somewhere. And you know that your destination is definitely going to be heaven. And you've got a Bible reason why you know that. Would you slip up your hand if you have a Bible reason why you know that? All right, all right. All right, thank you. You can put your hands down. Now, there are many of you, at least some of you, I saw more than probably more than five that did not raise a hand. That doesn't mean that you're not going to heaven. It means you just didn't raise your hand. But it may mean that you don't know you're going to go to heaven. Now, if you don't know you're going to go to heaven, you probably aren't. But you will go somewhere. And the only other place is not good. And you don't have to be like me. You don't have to be exactly like I am in my lifestyles. But you do have to come and take Jesus. 
you have to do it. It doesn't matter how many times and how many years you've rejected him, you've got to do it. Now, as the pianist just softly plays a stanza of invitation, who would say, Brother Mike, I do not know if I die to go to heaven, but I know I don't want to go to hell. And I do believe that there is a heaven and a hell, and it does make sense to prepare. You're not dumb or stupid or weird, you're smart to make sure your home is going to be heaven. If that's you with the hands, heads bowed, would you just lift up a hand and put it right back down saying, pray for me, I don't know I'm going to heaven, but I don't want to go to hell. God bless you there. Anybody else, I don't know I'm going to heaven either, and I don't want to go to hell, would you pray for me? One has raised the hand, is there another? Just slip it up, put it right back down. We'll include you in a prayer. I will not say your name. I will not say where you're sitting. I will not force you to do anything you don't want to do. I'll pray for you. We want you in heaven. You've got to, you've got to take the rope. You've got to take Christ. Please, you've got to do this for your sake. hundred years from now, that'll be the only thing that matters. Is there anybody else? I've got to take this rope. I've got to take Jesus. I don't know I'm going to heaven, but I want to. One has raised the hand. Is there another? Just lift it up. Put it right back down. We'll include you in the prayer. It's your eternal destiny that is at stake. You've got to do this. Now, I saw some of you that could not raise your hand. And if I could just put this in your heart, I am so glad that I could. And you may come to Christ today, you may not come to Christ today, but if you'll come to Christ soon because of the thoughts that you've got in your heart and mind today, I hope that be the case, then very good. Consider your salvation. Now, others of you would say, Brother Mike, I'm knowing going to heaven. Let me ask you this. How many would say, in light of this message, I've got some friends that I needed to get more serious about winning to Christ would you slip up a hand if God's reminded you of something like that? God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. All across the room, throwing out that lifeline again, because it's truth. Let's stand to our feet, please. Let's stand to our feet. Father.